Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips. So look, the topic tonight is we're going to talk about Stan Tatkin's Wired for Dating. And so Stan Tatkin really talks about um, neurobiology and attachment theory. And so really it's about, his work is really about, he says, um, two, when you're in a relationship, it's two nervous systems interacting with each other which is, is the reason why um, people can end up arguing over silly things, which isn't really what they're arguing about. So in the breakout rooms, we were discussing um, what happened in um, maybe your relationships or relationships that you've seen. Um, just before we, we open up the discussion, I'll just, um, there's a, uh, couple of new people so um, just so everyone knows what's going on um, so what we do here is we have a chat here in the main room um, and the um, the chat here is recorded um, when you go into the breakout rooms it's private um, and then the recording you can catch uh, so if you've missed any meetup you can listen in what I'm looking for is any examples of maybe and oftentimes we can't really explain why we get into these arguments. But just looking for some real life examples so that we can we can use them to illustrate the principles and bring some clarity to them. Does anyone uh, have anything that they were talking about in the uh, in the breakout rooms that they could share here? Um, so if you if you want to unmute yourself, just click unmute. Yes, I was talking with Sasha, so she left. So she told that people, I mean, in arguments in relationship, um, when the argument happens, the couple argues like uh, childish. So the reason is because of lack of communication and, I mean, too much expectation. So that's her answer, but my answer was that, I mean, since they love each other and they know each other so much, so they're connected to each other and they also uh, call themselves like baby or this like that. So the, when they love each other, they act like baby. Similarly, when they counteract, like when they argue, they also act like baby. And if they would have argued without relationship, I mean, they're not familiar with each other or maybe they're argues with colleagues, they might not have like uh, argued like childish way. And the other reason is that when they argue, they know so much detail about themselves, like they uh, use small details, like somebody says that your, I mean, snoring is not good enough. I mean, your dress up is not good enough. So these kind of small little things are used in arguments to hurt each other. So these kind of small little things when are brought in these kind of arguments, these are also components of babies like or childish like arguments. So this is my, I mean, thought about why they, I mean, when they argue, they act like childish. Okay. 
But it may not be childish. Well, I'm not saying it's not, but it might be that these things have annoyed them for a long time, like snoring, for example. Um, but they just haven't mentioned it before because they, everything was fine and dandy and, you know, and there was no underlying problem. So they, they didn't mention it. They just thought it. And then when something else is annoying them, then they'll bring it up. Um, so it's actually just simmering under the surface. Mm. So, so you mean like they're arguing about the snoring, but it's not really about the snoring? Well, it may, well yeah, yeah, probably not. No, they've brought it up. Um, uh, yeah, so there's actually underlying issues, on uh, other issues, yeah. I think it's just a, a, a lack of being able to communicate around those things. So say like someone's got an issue with snoring or I think most of it's born out of not expressing what you want clearly and then not finding a sort of like mutual resolution to it that it's like a win-win situation or does that, I think that's probably where it, it kind of. Yeah, and I think so also because um, people don't re aren't really clear on what they want. People aren't really clear on why they feel like they feel. Um, don't really know what's going on um, and just react. Yeah. But it, as you said before, it's sometimes a symptom of something that's an undercurrent. Mm. And so it's something that in good times you would probably tolerate, even though it is something that you wouldn't like. I have been through snoring and it drives me crazy because I wake up very irritable because I can't sleep. And the response that I used to get <clears throat> is, what do you want me to do about it? So, which says to me, you don't give a, you know what, about me because you know that I need to sleep. Therefore, that just escalates and escalates. When if everything was lovey-dovey and oh, also very nice and stuff, you would try to find a way to de-escalate the tension and, you know, what, what's, what's happening. But because there is something else that is driving you bonkers or you're angry about that causes the explosion well for me it causes me to just i lash out with a pillow in the night no <laughs> i i'm just very cost no i don't need any tools i'm just very caustic. <laughs> i have a very i'm honest i am very caustic and so my husband will tell you when you speak sharply you cut like a knife <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's nothing to boast about, but it's the truth. That's what he yeah. says. <laughs> yeah, but in that in that situation, the, his response basically meant he doesn't care. It's a lack of respect for you. Exactly. He's not but trying why, to do yeah. anything about it. He's not trying yeah. to solve the problem. Mm. So and then, but why does he feel like that? Because presumably, like five, ten years earlier, he didn't. So why has he ended up like that? I suppose it's a power play. It was a power play. Oh, power play. Oh, okay. Did you have two bedrooms in the house? You could just, or just left yourself, maybe, I don't know. Just Note, note he lives in Jamaica and I live in the UK. Oh, and you can hear him. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when, he, when we are together, you know, when yeah. we are together. But, oh. but I believe that if, I mean, I mean, laying in two separate rooms will not solve the problem. It will, I mean, make the problem deeper because if there's, I mean, Laying together, maybe they could, I mean, make some kind of point. 
But if they are separate and they are live, I mean, laying in two separate snows, it will make the situation worse. There is quite a um, number of people that, that do sleep in separate bedrooms. Uh, yes, it depends on based on their preferences. But for me, I believe that maybe whatever problems is happening, the problem is happening between these two people. So if they're working together, um, maybe try to find some common ground, then it will de-escalate the situation. But living separately, Maybe that helped them come down at some point, but constantly living separately will make the situation worse. No, yeah, is, that mean, not the, is that not the start of the end, though? Separating beds. Well, I don't. I don't know. Um, not necessarily. Um, because, like I know, I know my girlfriend. We we both sleep much better when when we're on our own. Um, because it is hard, you know. Like if one's asleep early, one's awake um, later. Um, and and just if you've been used to being on your own, um, you you sleep a lot better. Um, so I don't know, um, but a lot of couples like if someone is snoring all the time, um, and they can't change that. Um, maybe there are solutions. Yeah, there there are. Um, I don't know, um, but I do know that there is quite a sizable number of people that do um, sleep separately. I suppose it, um, I think it's unique. I think, I don't think that's necessarily um, the end of a relationship or the start of the end of a relationship. It can just be a way that they, they work out. As Callum pointed out though, um, it's about the response that you get when you mention something to your partner. It doesn't yeah. have to be about um, snoring. It's whether they take it on board and even if they're not um, very active in terms of changing it, but at least they respond to you as though they're willing to do something about it to, re to reduce your the impact that is happening on you. you. You know that, yes, this is, you're not happy about this and with good reason, um, they will try to meet you halfway. It might not work out because like, for example, snoring is very hard to resolve. But if you're trying to make a, an effort, then I would feel as though, okay, fine, you're trying to help the situation. But if you're not, then it says, well, later for you. <laughs> Just as a show of hands, how many people, um, and if, you, if your camera's off, you can, if you can use the reactions down the bottom to use a show of hands, um, how many people have heard of uh, attachment theory? Okay. And uh, what was the other question I was going to ask? Attachment theory. And uh, does anyone know what attachment style they have? And without just, if you've ever done I, I think I go. I think I go through different attachments. I think sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I'm, um, what's the other one? Um, dependent and some in de what's the other one where you don't well, it's attach four. well no, and I yeah, the, 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 the fourth one's not very common though is it no um actually i did have I, I, I was getting the percentages and i yeah is, on, is that the one where you're talking about anchor and wave and whatever yeah although yeah. normally it's secure anxious anxious avoidant um and 
Or is it ambivalent? Fearful? I think I go, I'm very avoidant sometimes. Other times I'm anxious and sometimes I'm completely secure. Okay. Um, depending on, on, yeah, I mean, we, times I we all that, are, like go through stages, I think. Yeah, how we feel. Like if you're with family, um, assuming it's, it's a good family, then you're probably going to feel more secure than if you're in a situation you're like your new workplace, um, you don't really know anyone, you're probably going to be, um, that's, the context is going to determine some of that. So roughly, um, okay, so we'll get into attachment in a little bit. But first of all, I just want to um, give some backgrounds for anyone. Oh, yeah, the other thing was how many people have read the book or read, listened to the TED Talk? So one, two, three. TED Talk? Yes, there was a TED Talk. Or attachment um, um No, it was, well, it was Stan, Stan Atkins. But anyway, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, uh, I'll run through that. So I'm just going to mute everyone now so there's no background noise. And then um, we'll um, discuss it in a minute. Okay. Um, so really being in a relationship can become frightening because suddenly your future and your autonomy is caught up with someone else's. And so um, it means that you've lost, or there's the feeling of, of loss of a sense of identity. You, you got, you, when you're single, you can just make a decision and go and do whatever you want to do. Um, and when you're in a couple, you then there's someone you, you have to check against. Um, and especially if you're raising children, um, then, you know, like, it's not just how you parent them, it's also how your spouse partners parents them. And often you might have different styles. And so you have to sort of, um, you don't have that freedom. So really when we're born, we're born into into a context, we're born into a family. Um, and there's someone who's, who's looking after us. And that, that introduction to the world is what's going to slant everything that you see of the world from there on. And it doesn't mean that you're condemned to, to, to that style, but it means that's the start that you, that you have. And different par parents obviously vary in how um, well they are able to look after you, how much space, how much stress they have, whether they have postnatal depression, um, whatever the context of their relationship or and how the living circumstances and all of those factors determine how you grow up. So this is so attachment theory really is based in your earliest experiences of the world so when when we're born we're completely helpless and we're dependent on our caregiver which is usually definitely when attachment theory came out was mostly the mum but whoever's mainly looking after the child so uh, as a baby we're born completely helpless we we um 
there's nothing that we can do for ourselves and we can't even ask. And so some parents are naturally maternal or paternal and they'll respond and they'll be able to work out, does it need its nappy change? Does it need food? Does it need comfort? And they'll, so the, the only way that the baby can ask for help is by crying. So what attachment theory is really about is how responsive that parent is determines the trust that the baby has in that person and then that trust in that person shapes how they see the world so a person that has a secure responsive caring parent looking after it tends to trust other people more so there's a story of uh, six blind men and the six blind men come across an elephant and one of them's got its trunk and one of them's got its leg and one of them's got its ear, one of them's got its main body, and one of them's got its tail, um, and whatever other part there is. Um, so there's, um, you've got like six different people that have six entirely different interpretations of what an elephant is. And so they describe it to each other, and then and they, they can't, you know, like, you know, you're a liar, because it's not like that. So their experience, because they can't see the whole, they've only just, they can kind of feel around apart. They have different experiences. And in the same way, we all have different experiences in the way that we grow up. And this is attachment theory in terms of how responsive our, our, our main caregiver is, but it's also about our culture. It's also about our family. It's about our religion. And all of those factors shape how we first see the world and then everything that we see after that is based on that initial initial view of the world so um so when i was looking at numbers about 50 percent of people are um, securely attached 20 percent are anxiously attached 25 percent are avoidant and five percent are fearful and so so what happens when someone has uh, a really responsive, um, caring mum or dad, um, they then feel like they're going to trust them and then they're going to trust uh, other people. So that, so when they first did research that, and why, how they discovered this was they noticed that children at about two or three would some would really cry when they're separated from their mum and some would not be bothered and some would um, sort of reject them when they came back and that's really the um, I think it was Mary Ainsworth um, was really how they did the test to test the, the attachment type so I think um, and Stan Tatkin and Sue Johnson um, argue that our relationships are essentially, essentially trying to recapture that primary relationship. So as, you, as humans, we're inherently social, so we need people, but it's overwhelming to go out you know, on the tube and to connect with everyone. So we need 
at least one main person that we feel safe and connected to and we have that attachment um, and when we have that we're able to take risks in the rest of the world because we, ha we always have that place to go back to so stan taxon calls it a, a couple bubble um, the government's talk of it as a cocoon um, but it's really about having that safe place and it's if you've never had a template for a great relationship where you felt really safe and secure then it's difficult in a relationship because you're expecting other people so if you're anxious you're going to expect so anxious people who are anxiously attached is um often because sometimes maybe like the parents might have, have had a acrimonious um, relationship and one might have used the, the child as their source of love um, and they may have have used that um, or they may have expected certain behavior before um, th they would love them like if you're if you're a good girl you're a good boy you get love if you're if you've achieved this you get love and so that becomes a, a template for how um, we see relationships. Um, does that make sense? Um, unmute yourself if you have any questions or comments. Yes, absolutely, it makes sense. Okay. Um, I didn't quite understand the first one, which is, I don't, I mean, I'm still Googling whatever you're saying. So are you talking about attachment theory or is it attachment styles or types? Is that, I just, I don't. Okay. Attachment theory is, okay. the, is the idea that we need to first attach to uh, one person. Yeah. So like mum, dad, caregiver. Um, and that attachment determines how trusting we are or how anxious we are in later relationships. Okay. So the attachment style comes from how you were treated. If, if they looked after your needs, you would trust them. And so you'll generally trust other people. If you never got your needs met, um, then you may either be avoidant where you just ambivalent and you just I'm on my own I have to look after myself and um, I'm self-sufficient and um, I can't trust anyone else um, and so they'll tend to push people away or you can be anxious which is like never someone who never felt good enough felt that they had to do something in order to be loved and so they're like okay what do, what do you need what, what can I do for you so those are the people that are seen as very needy Right. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, so what's next? So, if a, a romantic relationship is how we bond to one person as an adult, what we're really doing is kind of recreating the initial parent-child relationship, but this time 
it's as equals um and but they're the one person that we're attaching to and that's where we build our safe base and then build out from so um okay so there's some myths that uh stan atkins said see if i've got them somewhere but it's it's for example um what are some of the myths um that he that you have to be strong on your own um and he says that relationship wounds um as sasha's got it so um that we have to be strong alone we do you want to read them out sasha um yeah if i can find them so okay do you mean the myths it, i remember one of them was that you have to be completely um completely self completely secure completely happy before you can be in a, in a relationship yeah you said that's a myth um which I, I thought this was quite insightful, but this is the first experience I had of this sort of stuff. Hmm. Um, so the myths, love is all you need is a big myth um, because you can have all of the love and if the other things are going wrong, um, it's, love's not gonna save it, you need other things. Um, you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. And he has sort of like arguments for all why he believes these are myths. You have to learn to take care of yourself before you can start dating. You shouldn't rely on only one person for your well-being. I need to find my soulmate. Dating is for the young. I'm too old. Um, I think that was it. Okay. Um, all right, so... And, and so basically, okay, so let's, let's stop there and let's talk about attachment. Um, and this is really the key to why people um, get into arguments, get into like childish arguments. And sometimes, for example, people often, um, and I see it more with women than with men, um, but it, it's probably true with both. But you might get into a relationship and be in a relationship for three, four, five, six months and think it's going really well. And then suddenly um, they just like, no, you know, like this isn't working out and, and finish the relationship without really knowing why. And sometimes that can be um, because you're getting closer, because they care, um, you've triggered their um, and they're more avoidant um the avoidant attachment style will push people away because it gets too scared um, oh sorry are you saying it's more avoidant styles more common in men than it is in women and that's why it happens oh, no, more no. often no I, it's probably no it's probably in both but i i tend to see women saying it more but men maybe that's that's um, women would probably give it a different excuse, but it, it tends to be probably more stereotyped that men are um, men don't like to commit. Um, so um, that's probably why I'm saying it's probably 
if I really think about it and really think about the reasons, it's probably because we've got, I, I tend to see it more um, yeah. when you're saying that about men. Um, so, yeah, avoidant is. So, when you get into a relationship, what you're doing is you're exposing yourself, you're being vulnerable. Um, it's, it's like Romy said, you, you, they know everything that, that, that can hurt you. But it's not just that fear, it's also the fear of, I'm giving up my autonomy. Um, I'm trusting this person and all my experience of relationships tell me that I can't trust someone. So anxious people will really want to bond, but they'll be anxious and they'll feel like they need to perform in order to um, be good enough to be loved. Uh, secure people are, are quite um, secure and they, they they've been loved so they expect to be loved um and avoidant people are um much more um, i want to be on my own i'm you know I, I i don't need other people um so they'll sort of bond and then they'll push people away and um so that can be one of the reasons why people dump people um a few months in when everything seems to be going on and then the person who's who's suddenly been left it's like, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? And sometimes it's nothing to do with you. It's just it triggers fear and fears in them. So um, where are we? Rob, I have a question. Yes. Uh, is it possible um, for you to change your attachment uh, style over time? And, and does anyone here, maybe in the group, has an example, or maybe you have an example where you were very avoidant or fearful and, and, and you started working towards being more secure and it actually worked over time or is it just something that you are and, and, and... Um, yeah yes I mean Stan Sackton talks about that and, and that's one of the myths uh, is uh, you need to be whole and secure yourself um, and he says and other people have said as well is that um Basically, people in the field of neurobiology will say relationship wounds have to be healed in relationship. So uh, Dr. Mario Martinez is, is very good on that. And he says there's basically three core, three core wounds, which is shame, betrayal, and abandonment. And shame has to be... Um, shame is healed in a relationship where, they, where someone feels honoured Betrayal is healed where there is loyalty and um, abandonment. And I also get that other one. But, and, then, and then there's a, a field of healing for abandonment. So, yes, um, the problem is that most people aren't aware um, of what attachment style they are. They are not really aware of why they're arguing, which is why this is um, so important to know about because either in yourself or you can recognize in other people that beneath the surface of what's going on because the surface argument is about it's like Callum was saying it's about toothpaste or it's about snoring or something but often it's really about I can't trust you enough to tell you what I really feel I can't trust you to tell my my fears so um, I'm going to argue about this and hope that you pick up on it 
Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, it's really about being. You can become secure in a relationship. So if you're anxious or avoidant, and then have a better relationship, you can learn to become um, secure in that relationship. Because hmm. otherwise, really, you you condemn fifty percent of the population that can't have a relationship. And I know there's uh, attached. There's another book on that theme, and basically they say uh, avoidant. Um, basically the book just says avoid avoidance um and it, but it can yeah avoidance I, I think, are hard to date though they are yeah. especially and it's especially for anxious people I and mean, it's not like avoid avoidance but unless they're aware of it to some extent themselves or are on their own sort of healing it's very hard with avoidance yeah because um yeah um you can only really do something with someone that wants to do you like you can only work with someone who's willing to work and they, by their nature, typically aren't. Um, and especially anxious and avoidant is a, is a bad pairing because um, anxious people want to do everything to please the, the person and avoidance want less fuss. Um, so it's very hard for an anxious and an avoidant to work together. Oh, uh, Celestina. So if, if, if someone's, um, let's say, an anxious or got an anxious attachment style, how do they work at it? Um, or like, how do they know that that's, that's their attachment style? Because I don't know. I mean, I guess knowledge is the key factor here. You have to know to be aware to work at it. But I don't know even asking whatever is in my head correctly it's just if if your way of attaching to people is to avoid people that to me is not really attachment it's more like I'm self-sufficient so everybody should stay away um so I guess you don't really want to be attached then how, how do you form a relationship okay so typically uh, avoidant people will be attracted they'll, they'll sort of want to be in a relationship but then when it gets close they get scared and, and by their nature they push away um, so that that's the instinctive it's the instinctive fear and feeling but when you're aware of something um, then and you can recognize it and you can override it so it's, it's really, so how, how you heal really is by being aware and you have, to, you have to have the right relationship with someone that you trust who is worthy of your trust, who, who, who will support you. And then you... You, um, you have to spend um, time watching yourself as well, I think. Yeah. Um, we, we, are, we'll, we will, as we go further in, we'll, we'll um, talk more about um, what he, what Stan Tatkin says, and then we can go on from there. Um, but yeah, it's really being aware of it and sharing how you feel, because the the big problem in the fights is you're fighting about two face because nobody's saying what they're really feeling. Um, and there are some good examples in the book where he sort of has a couple fight and then shows how it could be different. 
Um, but for now, so we will get into that. But for now, I think it's worth pausing for a moment and thinking about. And I think I think there's a spectrum. I don't think it's just like fifty percent are secure. I think there's a range, um, and I think people can be different in different situations. Um, there's a general disposition, but we're not always feeling secure. Um, so um, if we go back into the breakout rooms and the discussion is to try and think about in your relationships, um, what might have been the other person's style, what might have been your style and how might those have led to um, rows uh, and arguments. Um, but now go, uh, if you want to, um, Sasha's got a point to add. You're, you're muted. I just, yeah, I just wanted to say, sorry, I was just going to type it in the box, but I didn't realise Enter made it send and not shift underneath. I always do. Um, but yeah, I was just wanted to say on the on the point of I think one way to recognise anxiousness is if if you see any sign of somebody pulling away from that relationship, the secure person wouldn't feel threatened at that point. They'd see that as a natural fluctuation in the relationship, whereas an anxious person would become very anxious if they saw someone pulling away a little bit. I think that that's how you can determine at that point whether you're secure or anxious. Would you agree with that, Rob? That's the way that I saw it anyway. Yeah, so, so an anxious person will be... Um, if, you don't, if someone doesn't reply to a text in a, in a couple of hours, they'll be like, why, what, 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 why don't, they, you know, don't they like me anymore? Um, are they not talking to me? Um, and um, so things like that. So all kind of these... Um, dating is is like a big thing of that because you're you're messaging someone and then someone doesn't message you back for for two days and that's why people like men will write these really shitty messages like you stuck up cow why why did you and a lot of that is anxious uh, attachment um, which is really about the the nervous system and how how that makes us feel and react. So, um, hi, Alan. Um, so we're just about to go back into breakout rooms. Um, so to, to try and think about what might have been your attachment styles and what might have been your partner's attachment styles and how might that, you know, like looking at their childhood, um, if, you're, if you know what happened, how might that have um, affected uh, relationships and so if you want to talk personally then talk personally but if you would rather talk more abstract and just generally about the concept then that's fine whatever you feel comfortable with in your rooms we got a bit into a bit of a discussion of sort of technology and robots and how sort of a lot of you know how everyone can trace your location as a way of building trust and the blue ticks and not getting a message back and that meaning they don't care if if they've if the blue ticked you and not messaged you back straight away mm. um and i think a lot of these sort of technologies are actually stopping genuine human connection and trust building 
because it's it's kind of like well you can give me proof why should i trust you when i can have proof from you mm, that's an interesting point um, um and how I, i've just brought up the point that just from having a child and what i've noticed in a lot of films is that they sort of in a lot of the films are getting kids to love robots so like a kid's dad will die for example but he would have left this chip behind and then this chips now his dad in a robot and then he falls in love with the robot as like the father caring figure so there's a lot of sort of so yeah I believe you know. that whatever you're saying about loving robots it's happening now currently in other countries for example japan i mean they love robots nowadays because for them it is difficult to love each other i mean government are giving money them to marry i mean to marry each other but they are so much obsessed with their i mean technological i mean blessings or whatever and that demand is too high and it is also said that in a some kind of statistics it has been shown that uh, almost all the young age uh, at least in japan uh, they have no sex i mean sexual in- contact who uh, i mean who are already at the age of 37 so in that case i mean the psychology is so different for them they now are more i mean attached to the robots i mean they for example like they are creating robots for men for women and they marry the robots like their girlfriend or boyfriend and they love the way they want uh, to the robots because robots acts or responds the way they love to be responded from their partners so that kind of response they're not getting from the real human so that is what is happening in japan it is happening uh, in real it's not no longer a movie at all but the root cause of that um according to some is an inability to be able to deal with real interactions and they withdraw especially the men as you quite rightly say but japan has had um a few centuries of dealing with robots it's relatively new to us but traditionally they have had what would have be what would seem to us to be primitive forms of robots but it's not a concept that's alien to them so in terms of their culture it is not something that they are looking at as, as something that is new and strange but you're quite right but it's a retreat from having to deal with issues and problems a a a a robot doll or an inflatable doll or the doll on their phone the girlfriend they can dress her how they feel like they put her wherever they take her for a weekend at a hotel yeah no and and they go outside scene and they have photographs and whatever they do with that object it does not talk back it does not argue it is not going to have a fight it is so it's and that suits them they have no problems it, they what we have as human interaction with all its difficulties they have removed that element can yeah say, um can i just say it's it's definitely weird for an adult <laughs> 
but it's not so strange for children because I think, you know, we have teddy bears, we have um, security blankets that kids have, and it's just a form of attachment. It's almost sort of semi-replaces the parent a little bit, but that's why we put the teddy bear sort of when you, you know, when you slip out of the bed, teddy goes in there. So they think that you're you're still there. So, but it's when it when you become an adult, then it becomes weird. I'm sorry, there's, there's some serious issues there. But it, I mean, I, I have also seen a video on YouTube that a woman. Oh, that says it all. Video on YouTube. <laughs> so it's it's about a woman. I mean, it's about a woman. She is uh, she has good income. She has good job, and she has good career. And she's probably 38 or so. But she struggled to have a relationship or a, a turn that relationship into a marriage. So uh, she made a budget to make a solo marriage. So in the solo marriage, the package is kind of like maybe uh, 10,000 uh, pounds or something like that. So she hires uh, uh, somebody to dress her up uh, the way she wants to be, I mean, be, I mean, looked in her real marriage. And that's, I mean, the marriage she expected and she's celebrating her marriage by herself. And that's what she calls solo marriage. Uh, so it's happening, not a single, uh, I mean, it's not a, com I mean, uh, rare thing. It's happening like a, for a large number of people. I think it's, I think we're at the point where robots, AI, human biology is, um, is mixing together. And this, I think, like 20, 30 years ago, we, it was all about aliens, close encounters, the third kinds, ET, Star Wars, Star Trek, because we were working out how do we deal with aliens, you know, Independence Day. Um, and I think now what's sort of coming into awareness and what's coming up is, um, is this issue um, of AI, um, what actually makes a human? Because when you can have, um, you know, like if you look at the, the Paralympics now, there are people competing that never would have been able to, you know, they would have been never able to move. Um, we're not far and probably we already have some, um, but where we, we, where human merges with machine. Um, so, um, I think that 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 plays out in film. Films plays out whatever our main fears are, um, and um, I think I think it's like Sasha said in the, in the chat. Um, we want like the dream is that we have a magic pill and we have this perfect person who does exactly what we want, but relationships are quite messy, and the bond in a relationship comes from working with the messiness from not getting what you want but what you want being refined by the challenge that's there with the other person so um so i think i think when when it becomes like a, a robot that it, it's something who's going to please you without you having to do the work for it um, and 
I think we've, we're, we're re reaching the point where artificial intelligence and robots are um, becoming so intelligent that they're actually developing empathy and they'll, they'll outdo us probably in empathy. So the question- I think there'd be something lacking there though. I think, you know, you were saying earlier on about, um, you know, the, the sort of downsides to being in a relationship versus being single. Um, but that, that also comes with a lot of plus sides. So yeah, you can't make decisions and do what you want all the time because there's somebody else there, but you've also got somebody to help plan and be stronger and make decisions together and how to move forward. And um, I think there's a lot of benefits to what, you know, not being single as well as what's the, yeah, there's going to be other things now you've got to work out how to sort of maneuver your life, not with somebody else in mind as well. But I think that's, you know, that's not such a bad thing. And isn't there um, something that human beings have that robots or AI? Yeah, that's that. That's what I was gonna gonna then say as well. Like then, so then, if people just don't want to deal with the sort of human stuff and are going for robots, they're gonna find the human stuff lacking, and I think they're gonna see that, that they actually it isn't all what it's cut out to be, and they probably will have that deep miss for the thing that's just not human. Yeah, that's what I'm questioning. When they say we're wired for love we're, we're literally wired to uh resonate with each other the, the yeah, robot or ai is not yeah. going to have that is it yeah other nervous systems other humans the electrical pulses from heartbeats and energy and yeah I think, yeah so I... that, that that nervous system that we have that's obviously not going to be in the ai so then that's not going to be sufficient for a relationship is it no I mean, sometimes, I mean, I believe that people need some kind of relationship that doesn't require that kind of, I mean, depth that you are asking, like, I mean, they just need somebody to be around and just like, I mean, some people have pets, so they are spending life for a long period of time just having a dog or cat, so they are totally fine. So they just need some kind of human like a pet. So, uh, I mean, partner cannot be a pet the way they like to be, I mean, they like their partner to be. So that's why they chose, uh, they're choosing a robot to be another version of human form of pet. Uh, so I that mean, is the only part of the relationship they care. Um, pets would give you some sort of love and pets respond to you. Um, for me, I think at the core of humans is that need to be social and to have something to trigger your emotions and your senses. And just because you're not agreeing with people or you're not finding the so-called right person does not necessarily mean that replacing human relations with, with robotics and stuff like that is, is really the answer. Because if, if someone chose to be single and then had a pet, They'll feed the pet, the pet will back, they would have to take the pet out, they would have to care for the pet. Whereas if it's a robot, you're not getting anything apart from a one-sided sort of, you're putting into this 
something that doesn't even have a clue what you're putting into it. And I just feel like that is not really a relationship because a relationship is a two-way thing. Um, so you've got to give and receive as well. But um, going back to what when we came back from the break rooms um, about like people putting these AIs on and things like notifications to get some sort of a response to say someone's read my message and then you're wondering oh yeah they've read my message but why haven't they responded I'm just not sure if if that's a healthy way um, because as much as these things are available with technology to have you can also disable these things because if you're constantly like picking your phone up every time you hear the notification thing ring or anything it will set you like into this sort of a panic whatever always checking like I see people at work constantly like flipping their phone to have a look at notifications and I just don't think that's healthy so just as these are options which are available there's also the option to actually turn them off and and be able to operate as I mean I'll put this in inverted commas as normal so that you're not driven by technology because I look at some of these people I'm thinking they're constantly on their phone and it's like every two seconds picking it every two seconds picking it I'm like how are you able to even concentrate and do your work um, and do anything and you go into meetings and people are meant to be present and yet they're not present because they're constantly like picking their phone because of a notification thing so I think there's the option to actually switch those things off. Uh, just to go back though um, I um, back to the whole issue of robots uh, and, and their use once again in Japan as the main example, but also here and in the United States and in Canada, older people who are alone, either because their partners have died, their children are far away, they live in remote areas. Robot toys have been made for a number of those people. And it has proven to be quite therapeutic for, for people who are lonely. Um, I remember reading about a Japanese lady. She's quite old. She lives on her own. She has this little farm and it's remote. And she has one of those little baby seals and it has the little droopy eyes and it blinks at you and it's there and it's cuddly. She says that she looks forward to going home every evening to be with it she has formed an attachment and she thinks of it as being, it's almost like it's alive for her. And it has been shown for people in some nursing homes that, it, that they respond, it's, I suppose in a sense, it's like a child with a doll or a favorite toy or the blanket. And they respond to this toy, um, especially people with different forms of dementia, apparently it helps them too. So I wouldn't throw it out and say it has no purpose, it has no use and that we are getting needlessly attached. I think it is um, a, a more deep-seated issue that why is it that people are relationship avoidant 
what is it about relating to another human being that is so painful that you want to withdraw? It's beyond the avoidant um, category, I would think it is a rejection of human um, interaction. Um, I think is uh, yeah. I think it's I think it's actually a rejection of life. Yeah. Um, because the nature of life means that everything that we really want um, comes from effort. The better, and I think pets have been used um, in much the same way as uh, as robots probably will. Um, and even like teddy bears, um, it really comes down to people wanting what they want, but not willing to, to pay the price for it. You know <laughs> what I mean? As in um, a relationship with a real human is work, but the work that we do is what changes us, we, which what refines what we want and grows us as a person and i think there are people that don't aren't willing to put in the work and those are the people that are going to want the whether it's a, a robot or um or, or a pet um and because pet pets i mean we, we love children we love pets because we 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 give to them because it's actually what we give that we that develops love and um but i think many people have pets rather than a relationship or even in a relationship because you know that you get unconditional love from an animal um and we don't get that from people and that ability to be in the relationship without getting everything you want is the bit that we find most challenging but it's also the bit that is most rewarding because to be in a relationship that really works you have to work at it and so you have to change and evolve and it's 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 that process of evolving that makes the relationship worthwhile if that makes but Rob, sense. when you say that uh, we, if somebody's not willing to put in the work, does that relate to learned helplessness, which is to say that they've been uh, rejected or abandoned before, and now they think that that's what will happen in the future? Um, I think it's um, fear. It's fear that they're not good enough, fear that they can't do it, fear that um, no one will love them as they as it is as they are. Um, so some of yeah some of that is um, experiences um, and feeling like it's too much hassle. There's a lot of people that have sworn off relationships right now, um, and I'm sure you probably know people that say our oh, relationships are too much hassle, and it's just because they're experienced because they don't know. I don't think it's very widely, widely, like the mainstream says, go have a makeover, um, get this car and everyone will love you. But I don't think many people really know what you have to do to make a relationship work. And so that creates an earned helplessness. Um, so 
yes, I think ultimately it's not believing that they can do it. Okay, um, so moving on, I think, so let's go to the next stage. So we, we've, we've sort of talked about attachment styles. Did we answer all the questions? I'm trying to think back because we sort of went off on some tangents. Does anyone have a, a question that they feel like we didn't answer or didn't address fully? Okay, right. So I think one of the big problems we have in relationships is that we think that we're dealing with things consciously and based on facts. So, you know, talking about pets, we're not that far removed. You know, we, a nervous system doesn't evolve. It's like 100,000 years for us to evolve to our circumstances. If you look 100,000 years ago, um, our world looks nothing like it does now. And that's why there's so much anxiousness, so much stress um, in our world. And so when, so, when someone, like if you come home um, and you're feeling on top of the world, you've had a great day at work and you've, things have gone really well and everyone's been really pleasant and you come home, whatever happens, you're, you're probably going to um, be in a really positive way, interact in a really positive way. If you've been in work and you've been left out of the Christmas dinner, if there is Christmas dinner and um, a group have gone out without you and you've been the one left out or you've been and you've been in the meeting and someone took all your ideas and um, the and uh, left like or you got humiliated in front of everyone and lost the contract you're going to come home in an entirely different mood and that's got nothing to do with how the person's reacted it's to do with whatever state you're in and we believe that we're reacting on consciously what's happening but most of the time we're reacting to how we feel and so this goes back to the toothpaste and the toilet seat and the clothes on the floor arguments because they're mostly arguments of when we're feeling down when we're feeling low and so we ascribe that that person didn't care about us that that person doesn't care enough to, to change it whereas if we were feeling more positively we wouldn't we, we maybe wouldn't have made an issue of it so really um so what stan Hackton talks about the couple bubble and i like the way that the Gottmans describe it and, and they say like basically when you're in a couple um the motto should be when you hurt baby the world stops so we're going to stop everything and fix you before we deal with anything else and so really that's what stan tatkin is talking about is about how and he gives some examples of people rowing and they're rowing based on fears that they have 
they're rowing like for example one was they're at a thanksgiving dinner uh, it's the first time she's met the family um, and she just feels left out like they're all um, talking and and then she she says like i don't really want to go to your family if that's what it's going to be like and he's like oh you know why do you do this so needy for attention and what's really going on is she's gone walked into a situation where the he's the younger brother and the older brother is the one that gets all the attention and all the praise and he's fighting to get his dad's attention um all of this is going on and she's not knowing any of the history or any of the backstory but he doesn't want to say that um and she doesn't want to say like you know like i i just feel completely left out feel needy so they overreact and then they um just row but without ever talking about what they're really arguing about so um so there, there's a brain theory of trying brain theory that we have three brain systems so we have a reptilian brain which is basically the same as all reptiles and all animals have there's a more uh, advanced one the limbic system and then we've developed uh, the cerebral cortex which is uniquely human which gives us our language and it gives us our more complex thought. Now, when we feel something as threatening, that becomes our, um, that fear overrides everything else. And so the reason that we feel so much anxiety and stress is because we have this nervous system that's built to react to stress and to fear. And it's constantly being triggered, but the fear isn't like the saber-toothed tiger or the dinosaur coming for us. It's um, the fact that we've been left out, that someone's jumped the queue or, or something like that. So, so what we're defining as stress and threat isn't life-threatening anymore, but we're having a life-threatening response. And so when we have um, that threat, then we're going to overreact emotionally because that threat creates an emotional state where we feel that we need to say something, where we feel we can't just let it go. And so um, Stan Hatkin talks about primitives being that threat, uh, the thing that's picking up on threats. And then ambassadors are what he talks about, the, the, the cerebral cortex. So when we're thinking consciously, we're much more concerned about what people are thinking of us. Um, and so we're um, smoothing over. We're saying, I don't know, I, I don't really know what it was. And, and, we're, and we're not really getting to the truth of this is what I felt and this is why I reacted. They're like trying to justify. Um, and so we argue, we become defensive in an argument and we argue to justify to um, um, so we kind of get rooted in positions. Um, is it similar to victimization? Probably in the sense that we have roles. Um, but so that's really what's going on. Um, because we, on the surface, we're kind of civilized and we would like to pretend that we're civilized. But underneath, we're built as an animal with instincts and emotions. And um, so that's really... And it's about being safe, having that, that like the cocoon and the couple bubble now to have that safety to 
not show the uncivilized side, but to be able to express that vulnerability with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's when, when we feel threatened that we react and because we feel threatened, we, and because we don't feel safe and part of it has nothing to do with anyone else, but because of what we've brought from our own past relationships and childhood that we feel, um, yeah we we don't feel safe so um we're not honest but we have to we i think that that that, you know i think we all fall into that role sometimes i know i do myself you know sometimes when i'm feeling over threatened and whatever else um i won't be completely honest but that's not because i'm lying it's just because i'm so sort of aroused is the word that Stan Tack can use, but not in the in the sexual sense, but just aroused as in um, just overstimulated. Um, I'm not even aware of my own self at that point. So like you said, it's just then becomes reactions. So I think it's just about taking time out to actually check in with yourself and go, actually, how am I feeling? What is the problem here? So that you can express it to somebody else. And And that's also knowing each other and um, trusting the other person so that when someone does react like that, that you're like, you're not taking the surface and, and then becoming, taking that as a threat and then too. Yeah, um, you can be patient and tolerant and know that the person's going to come through and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's developing that trust and giving someone that um, room for error. Yeah, and 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 reacting with calmness. Yeah, so sort of being this, being the anchor and being the sort of water when they're the the fire sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just not. It's not taking it personally. Mm-hmm. And it's having faith in the other person as well to an extent, isn't it? Yeah, that this is. See, I mean, most of us can do it with with a child. When it's when it's your child, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, I'm talking about my son, don't you? <laughs> it's the only experience I've got. <laughs> and yeah, so we will do it with a child because we know that they're three years old. But we we see um, on the surface we look at our partner as being. An adult, they should they should do better. We don't say that for a three-year-old, but uh, um, neurobiochemically, we're still three-year-olds. But one that's one thing that um, Stan Tatkin mentions in the book that I thought was good that he said is that you can be there for your partner to heal the baby if you need to be. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really recognizing that it's it's a wounded child that's reacting. And uh, Celestina, I think uh, you meant uh, you mentioned like how do you heal it? That's how you heal it by um, being in a relationship. So you you obviously have to talk about it so that someone knows. Um, so someone who has an anxious attachment style, they they're like, okay, I get anxious, so I'm going to react, and I need you to be like this. And so you need someone in a relationship that has the ability to stay calm. Um, and work with you for it and that's how it's healed 
Okay. So when we went into the break room, we were talking about like sometimes wanting to be upfront and direct and being open and honest. And I think listening to everything that's been shared today, I'm just wondering at what point in any relationship do you have to uh, like, well, like sort of voice your opinion about things that you're unhappy with? Because if not talking about it because you're afraid that the other person is going to get offended um, is making you keep quiet. And then later on, things like toilet seat and toothpaste flares you up. What point in that relationship do you have to say, okay, I think I've got to say something here because I'm boiling inside. And, and, and if you're the one on the receiving end, how do you, how do you accept this criticism or whatever it is that is being put forward to you as your own contribution that's making the other person feel, how do you accept that? Um, I, when, when do you say, I would say, straight, I, I think straight away, the, the, if you don't say it, it stews. And when it stews, then it becomes bitter and then it becomes out as a torrent because it's going to come out. Uh, if you say it straight away, it's just fact. There's less emotion to it. If you're worried about offending the other person as well, I think it's good to set up the conversation just to say, look, I'd really like to address something with you, but I'm worried that you're going to sort of react negatively to what I've got to say. But I'd really appreciate if you could hear me and if we could work out something together. I think, you know, if you open it up like that, if they're a, if they're a reciprocative person and the, the, they're moving the relationship forward, they'd be willing to like sort that out. And it's being aware that if, if they're, uh, they have an anxious attachment style, if you say, like, someone with an anxious attachment style is going to be much more sensitive to criticism. So, for me, I, I, I'm um, not particularly, like, I, I think you just say it. I just think, I just believe in the truth, and I think you work the details out. But I know that... Um, people aren't always don't always take that and I, I re, what I realized was um, that for me it's not about blame or or criticism and, and I didn't mean that but people will sometimes take that um, and they take it because they're already sort of anxious they're already sensitive they're in their head they're already telling themselves they're not good enough and so they find it very difficult to take criticism so I think like Sasha says um, you have to set it up and so that because immediately you say criticism they're going to feel oh you want to get rid of me because I'm, I'm doing this wrong but so if you assage that fear first and say um, you know like you know I really like being with you and I really like spending time with you um, here's a couple of things we need, we can work on to that would make me feel better or something like that where it's um reassuring before uh sets the context does that make sense yeah it does but of what about the second part where like you're on this 
end of like receiving whatever the criticism is at what point do you have to yeah I don't know like how do, how do you accept this without allowing yourself to feel like you're the victim um I don't, I don't think there's a problem in feeling like a victim and responding and, and arguing as long as you're able to work it out so like okay so it's 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 like he stands attacking talks about soothing yourself so it's about being mindful um and okay how am i feeling why am i feeling like this um so there are things you can do to feel less anxious in the moment um ultimately though like we're talking about this and it sounds like you have to be perfect in the way that you deliver it and the way that you take it. But in real life, relationships are messy. And as long as you trust the other person and you can have an argument um, there and um, it not be the end of the world. Um, yeah, and, and like Sasha said, I think it's just recognising that criticism doesn't mean I want to finish with you. But a lot of people are going to overreact with criticism because they feel you're not good enough. Um, I'm rejecting you. Um, this is it. And so that's that's why people don't take criticism. Yeah. Um, so th then there's there's ways of delivering it. Like um, radical honesty is a um, is a good book, um, and also. Um, course for non-violent communication um, is sort of I feel like this when you do this I feel like this I would like if you could do this so yeah so so that's a good uh, strategy non-violent communication um, and basically he, his whole premise is that people want to help you and if you're honest this is how I feel I would like if um, this is how I feel when you do this. I would like if you would do this. And, and so basically you're giving someone the user manual for how to how to be with you. Okay. Um, right. So if we uh, the next bit um, is where he talks about dating specifically. So um, he talks about just being conscious about what you're looking for. Um, I think it goes into more detail. I think one of the problems with dating is what people are looking for isn't necessarily what they really want um, because we're unaware of what we really want. Um, and... So I think there's so many people that have this checklist of this, 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 and this. And if they get the person that has all of those checklists, it's not necessarily going to give them the relationship they want. And part of it is that you evolve and the relationship evolves through you. Um, so, so yeah, basically he's just like being very conscious of what you want. Um, and then he talks about vetting people. So you screen people for your first impressions if you think you can make a relationship work with this person, 
then you get other people to vet them. Um, and so they're looking for, so you get, basically get other people's perspectives um, because sometimes other people are going to see things that you're not going to see. Um, and then he talks about Sherlocking, which is basically just looking for clues. So not rushing into a relationship, take at least a year to, to um, look, but look at people in all different contexts, look for clues. What does this imply about someone in a long-term relationship? Um, I think there's the dating relationship and the domestic relationship are two completely different things. And you want to be sure that one translates into the other. Um, so I think he also talks about having trial periods of living together because um, that's different from dating. Um, and then like when it goes into a relationship, he's talking about making an agreement. Um, he also talks, what I thought, found quite interesting is that we respond to threats. We respond to strange things as threats. So um, the, our partner after a while becomes familiar. And because they become familiar, we put it on autopilot. We don't really pay attention until there's a threat. And so he's talking about very consciously dating while we were in a relationship, keeping that closeness and intimacy. And um, so that, you, like, otherwise, the only time you really notice your partner is um, when there's a threat, when something that they do feels threatening to you. Um, so um, if the infatuation bit I thought was good as well making sure you see through the fog of the infatuation in the dating stage yeah yeah definitely um, so yeah so basically I missed that but um, uh, initially what you feel for someone is going to be biochemical is excitement um, for example there's a study um, if you meet someone in a high-risk environment um, because your emotional state is, is raised, activated, you'll associate that with arousal and you'll associate that as attraction for someone. So you could feel like in a high-risk high risk situation, you could feel an attraction for someone, meet them again in a low-risk um, situation and not feel that attraction. And it's because of the, you're mistaking arousal for, the, for attraction. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and when you're dating, there's a lot of nerves. Um, so you're in a state of arousal, so you're more likely to, um, you may respond in, in feeling attraction. Um, and it's recognizing that lust and excitement um, is very different from love. And he talks about infatuation being far away, lust, uh, love being close, um, being looking into someone's eyes and that kind of intimacy. Did I miss anything else? Um, so any questions or comments or? Yeah, no, I've got a, a sort of comment. 
if you've been in relationships where people have um, been abusive in any way, and that's left you struggling to rewrite trust, what 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 do your is your advice about that? Um. So you, you mean like they've then gone into another relationship and, and they're struggling to trust? Yeah, or they find themselves repeating, you know, the whole thing about, you know, you, you repeat your past if you don't sort out your issues. So you could end up in a similar relationship where someone's treating you in, 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 in a similar way. Say if they're unfaithful and you find yourself just only ever meeting people who aren't actually going to commit fully, that somehow you attract that sort of... Um, yes yeah, so so Thing that you don't actually want but you end up getting it again you're attracted yeah. to what you're similar you're familiar to yeah he talks about becoming conscious of that in the beginning somewhere and becoming this to this i can't remember exactly what it was i don't know if you know rob but these two these two um subconscious things that are working that why we're attracted to people and one of them is because of familiar familiar i can't even say it familiar yeah. <laughs> familiarity that's the um, one yeah there's there's um yeah not... no i know i know that i'm just saying after you've got your familiarity and you understand that concept then what well really it's about um healing the issue um i think you, you need to reframe the issue of um so the reaction when someone's unfaithful for example um is to then judge, generalize that unfaithfulness to other people. Um, and therefore you don't trust because in your experience, uh, men are all bastards. Um, so, so there's that. So it's, so it's about reframing, okay, that happened in a specific instance. Um, sometimes people believe it was based on them it was a reflection on them. They cheated on me because I mustn't be good enough. Um, so it's, it's recognizing the reality, separating the reality from the narrative. So the narrative is they cheat on me, everyone cheats on me, I'm not good enough. Um, I choose the wrong people. So there's all that, that kind of narrative whereas you're looking at the reality of the situation okay what really happened so so situa situations happen in specific contexts with specific people um, and the more specific that you are um, the less you are going to generalize because the, the principle of cognitive economy is that we generalize so we generalize that all people do this all times um, so so that's um so we carry that forward as, as we, we work on rules of thumb. Um, and so we can take those rules of thumbs and they can be mistaken. Um, so let me see, what was the question? Um, how do you heal that trust? So it's, you often people trust without reason. Um, often people will get into a relationship, particularly we have this whole patriarchal situation where um, um, women have been like told 
there's certain expectations, certain behavior that makes you um, a good person. Um, if you're not, you're a slut. Um, and so what happens is people have these rules about, I'm not going to get into a relationship. I'm not going to sleep with someone until three days in, three months in or whatever. Um, and so we react on lust and we get, and so I think a lot of women get into a relationship um, because they feel lust because they feel they want to be close to someone and they give the relationship more value because if I'm sleeping with this person, I must love them. Um, if I must love, if I love them, then I must trust them. And because of that, they trust people that they shouldn't. Um, you trust is something based on the evidence that you have. Um, and when you trust people because you're in a relationship with them, because you should trust someone you're in a relationship with, um, then that's like trusting someone just because someone's a bank, you're just automatically going to trust them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you trust based on evidence um, and evidence and the specifics of the situation um, and of what happened is very specific, but you don't do it on a, on a generalization. If you do it on a generalization, either way, either you're going to get hurt because you trusted someone who didn't deserve it. Um, and then the other thing is not being afraid of giving people the chance to hurt you. Um, and I think people are afraid of trusting because they're scared of getting hurt. And I think part of relationship is you do get hurt, but you know, you learn how to heal. Um, and when you can heal, you're not scared of trusting. And so you get to know who you can trust and who you can't because you give them the chance to hurt you. And if they have the chance to hurt you and they don't, then you can trust them. If you give them the chance to hurt them and they do, then you know, you've learned that and you should get out of the relationship because that's not someone you can trust. Yeah. Okay. That's a good answer. Thank you. The other, the other thing I just heard, um, they mentioned Sherlocking. Yes. Is that a good thing to do? Um, I couldn't work out whether it was a good thing or not a good thing to do that sort of... Um, yeah, it, I, doesn't, it doesn't mean it in the sense of like, oh, start rooting through the pockets and looking for evidence, that sort of thing. It's just more like just sort of taking a step back to assess things that you can see in reality before entering into the relationship. Does that make sense or is that? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, I just I couldn't work out whether it was um, a good thing to do or not. It didn't, you know, sometimes things are said as if, you shouldn't do them and I just wondered what it was implied. No, it advises that you do for like um so like like Rob was saying about looking for clues um and like things like it's more sometimes it's more about what they're not telling you rather than what they are telling you and um I think I think I think often people tell you exactly and we don't always want to hear it do we because we're lost in some lust or chemical romance and actually they're absolutely showing us who they are. We just don't always see it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think um, basically we don't know much about someone. So if you meet someone off a dating yeah. site, you, you know nothing. 
and Sherlocking is the is is the putting together all the clues to to give you a bigger picture. But I think even within a relationship, I think it's worth that because like the, the how how can you be responsive, um, caring, thoughtful to someone if you don't really know who they are? So in in talking about like the healing from the the, the trust is about we ha we have those wounds because we generalize and it's overriding the human tendency to generalize um so your main relationship is where is the most important relationship you should give that all your attention and energy um and so sherlock is, is part of that is knowing the person in more detail and and we think because someone orders all the stakes, we think we know, oh, that's the person that orders the stakes. And we put labels on people in relationships. And once we put labels on them, we think we know them. And so we stop being interested in them. And so other people become more interesting. And so that's why the grass is greener. But if you keep your interest um, on understanding who they are, because most people don't even know who they are. Um, we don't know ourselves. There's much more hidden in ourselves than... Um, than another person so if you're pay that much attention um that's how someone holds interest for you over longer term yeah i'm all excited about going to date now again rob thanks <laughs> i just need to find someone who wants to date through covid <laughs> yeah sure yeah can i just pick up on that i i think it's perfect time to get to know lots of people and learn lots about people on video dates um, I'm going to do a little, um, I think I'm going to do a, like a, the Sherlock quiz, the subtle Sherlock quiz. I'm going to make one up. Sounds great. <laughs> the, there is the 39 questions to fall in love to. They're, they're about somewhere. Sorry, Betty. Yeah, I was wondering if you've got any advice for avoidance to avoid avoiding. Um, it's recognising the pattern. The pattern of avoidance is pushing people away because you're scared. It's recognising that it's fear. Okay, so this is fear. So I feel fear. Um, so I don't have to be controlled by fear. Unless you're willing to live with fear, you're going to be controlled by fear. So you're always going to avoid everything. Um, and it's the same a relationship as a career as um, any other thing. Is that it's, The fear will stop you. Fear will limit your life. Um, so it's recognizing that it's fear and it's not real. It's recognizing I'm creating this drama because of my fear. Um, it's looking through, uh, listening to yourself. Okay, why? Why do I say that? Why? Why do I think? Um, why am I wanting to do that? Why did I do that? Um, and then being, telling someone. Um, we talked about David Goggins last week, but... Um, Basically, he came up with this thing called the accountability mirror. And he said if he lied, he would go back and tell that person he'd lied to them. And he made himself do that. Um, if he, when he cut the gym short, he went back and he did the whole gym session again because he was like five press ups short. Um, so making yourself that accountable. Um, so you, you won't get it right first time, but you go back and you have to do it. And then when you keep doing that, that makes you uh, more conscious of it. Does that answer your question or has that gone off on a tangent? 
Yes, thank you. How do you if you don't mind? Um, that thing you mentioned about keeping someone interested or they have to be interested otherwise they get to know you and then the grass is greener and it takes two to tango they need to still remain invested in the relationship to put the effort to meet you halfway and what happens when uh, you know at the beginning of the relationship even with Sherlocking and everything they were sincerely interested and and uh, compromising and good and all of that. And then circumstances changed and now, now they have to keep traveling and, and they, you know, I wouldn't be the priority anymore. And then you say, okay, well, I, we use what someone here said. You say, I need to talk to you and we need to work on this. And they, they say, well, that's the best I can give you. Like basically that's the deal. Are you saying that sometimes it has to end? Um, I think relationships are really about how you navigate them it's not about the relationship it's about how you navigate your relationships and sometimes um people are going to change and people are um you you screen as much as you can for someone who's committed someone who's got all the qualities but sometimes people will change people won't, won't um, be that invested so not like not straight off, but I first of all I'd try and go beneath. Okay, so you're not interested. You you don't want to. So I'm not a priority. Um, um, is there? It's really you need to get to the truth um, of what's underneath that. Is it fear? Are they saying that because they're pissed off at something that you did and they last week that they feel. Um, you um, you didn't care about them. Um, is it a moment momentary thing? Um, it's, it's uncovering that. Um, and either they've given up trying, um, it's not a priority, but probably something in it is that they're not happy. And so this is why consciously um, you continue to date um, and I think your job in a relationship is, are you happy? Like, what can I do to support you so that you, you, you can't make someone happy? But um, the relationship can give them the basis to, to be as happy as they can. Um, so it's consciously, I think before, ideally, before it gets to that state, is, is, is knowing your partner. And this is Sherlocking is, Okay, so this is really miserable. This is really happy. Where are where are they? And then I notice you, you know you're not having as much fun. You're not um, smiling as much. You're not. You don't seem as happy. Is anything worrying you? Um, and it may be that there's something bothering them. Maybe nothing to do with you. But because like how someone's going to react is dependent on how happy they are. So. Um, Stan Tatkin says you're responsible for them they're responsible for you you can't make someone happy but you can like your um, boundaries and concern is, is for them and you offer um, they might not let you in um, but if they're really not interested then it means that they're probably not that happy um, for some reason 
whether it's the relationship or something else, they don't think um, it will make a difference talking about it. They don't think it can be fixed. Um, um, so if they don't believe it, then there's nothing you can do. And it, it might not be a momentary thing, um, but you need them to be equal. Then, I mean, there's going to be times when they need you more than them, and there's going to be times when you uh, you need them more than you can give. Um, but over time, if, if someone just completely, uh, okay, I'm out, somewhere they made a decision because they're not happy. So, um, so that's basically Stan Atkins' view. Is um, anyone got any questions or comments or? I'll see there's a couple of things in the chat I'll try and... uh, I, th I think you told uh, before the break I mean the second breakout you said that you were going to post some links uh, probably oh, it's... yes yeah, yeah I, I found some um, I just quickly googled attachment theory so I'll post was there a book as well you were talking about with, about attachment? This is a book. Um, we're talking about Stan Tatkin's book, Wired for Dating. Um, there are other books. That, um, I, I did mention Attached. Uh, I don't think that was... Good night, um, Alan. Um, I, I didn't think Attached was particularly good. Uh, Sue Johnston's I, I liked better. Um, I think Stan Tatkin's book is good. Um, I... Um, didn't like his way of writing. I found it hard to read. I like Sue Johnson's better. Um, but um, yeah, I think they're about probably the three main books on attachment. What specifically regards dating? Um, Stan, as far as I know, Stan Tatkins is the only one specifically for dating. I mean, he had basically attachment books on relationship and he just took it and applied it to dating. Um, I think if you led uh, wide for relationships, it's pretty much the same. I've got a quick question before I say bye. How often do you meet? Do you meet every Mondays or? Every, every Monday at seven um, on this link, yeah. So next week we have, uh, is it the relationship landscape? I can never remember. Um, yeah, so it's every Monday um, at the same time. Right, thank you. Okay. Thank you, everybody, and nice meeting you all. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Nice to see you. Good night, uh, Priscilla. Um, okay, so that's it. If anyone else has anything to comment or otherwise, I'll, I'll meet again next week hopefully you can make it thank you for everyone for coming along thank you rob see you next time thank bye bye you. yeah thank, thank you rob bye. Bye. we'll see you next thank week you. great meet up thanks everyone okay. bye bye Take care.